with me out of respect and honor for God's word. We want to listen with reverence. We want to listen with joy and attentiveness. So hear these words, the word of the Lord. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are now seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about three thousand souls and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, would you bless the reading and proclamation of your word with the power and presence of your spirit. We ask that your spirit would fall on us to bring conviction and comfort. We thank you for your word, that it's powerful, that it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division 
of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And we confess that often when we read your word, it remains as wheat in the field. But we ask that by the power of your spirit, through the preaching and teaching of your word, that it would not just remain as wheat in the field, but would become bread on the table for us to feast on this morning. Lord, would you be at work in and through this time together so that we are fed and strengthened and satisfied and nourished and comforted by your word. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. I recently heard a well-known pastor in Washington, D.C., his name is Mark Dever, Uh, recently heard him tell a story about a time when he was giving a lecture uh, about the importance of the Bible and preaching uh, at this church in England. Uh, The place that he was giving this lecture was this old cathedral um, from the 16th century where this reformed congregation used to gather there. And uh, the the 16th century was the the decade of the Reformation. Um, And so this was a a newly formed church and um, and many of the the details of the building um, were were still there uh, in the the cathedral that made it made it sort of a particular to a Reformed congregation. And uh, Dever pointed out one of these details as he was giving this lecture. He pointed out this, um, this sort of metal spiral thing that went up from the side of the pulpit. The pulpit was this really big podium, and it, there was a little metal spiral that went up from the side of the pulpit. And uh, Dever asked uh, the students gathered there if they knew what this little metal spiral was. And uh, no one knew for certain. Some had seen it before, but no one could say, uh, you know, exactly what it was, although they might have seen it before. Um, and so Dever explained it to them. They were, they were gifts, typically from the congregation to the preacher within that church. Um, and th- they gave them uh, to the preacher uh, sometime between the mid and, and late 16th century. Uh, they were hourglass holders. They were hourglass holders. And as he's explaining this to them, he starts to see looks of worry come across the faces of of the students gathered there. And so he explained a little bit further, you know, these congregations would give these hourglass holders to these preachers, and they would give them one to two turns of the hourglass while they were preaching the word on Sunday morning. And uh, when he explained this, there's an audible gasp amongst the students there. They just, they were amazed at this. And... uh, you know, the, the general feeling being that one to two turns of the hourglass was entirely too long. And um, one person even bursted out, well, what time did that leave for worship? What time did that leave for worship? And of course, what that means is what time did that leave for singing? And so when Dever heard this question, he had to take a moment to compose himself as he heard the entire Protestant Reformation flushing down the toilet. But after he composed himself, this is what he said to them. Well, you know, I think when you realize some of the people sitting there may well have remembered the smell of burning human flesh for having the Bible translated into a language that they could read and understand. That they well knew that the chief worship they could offer to God was to hear his word and to respond to it with faith and trust. And if they got to obey that part of God's word that told them to sing, that was a wonderful part of their worship. They knew that their chief act of worship was hearing and obeying God. 
Well, we're the second Lord's Day into a six-week sermon series looking at Acts 2.41 to 42 here. And we're looking at Acts 2.41 to 42 to see what this this early church, this spirit-filled church devoted themselves to as a community. Um, and, And not that this church was perfect. We're not doing this because this church was perfect. They weren't. We see just a few chapters into Acts that uh, it was a church that had hypocrites present in their midst, and it was a church that had, you know, organizational disasters looming on their way. So, um, you know, it's certainly not a perfect church. And we're not doing this because we're kind of longing for days gone by as if everything was better back then. Some things were better back then, but some things most certainly were not. We're not doing this because of any of those reasons. No, we're doing this because what we see in these two verses is a kind of pattern or a norm for the Christian life. We hear the gospel, we believe the gospel, we repent and are baptized and join a church, and then with a church, uh, with a particular fellowship of believers, we devote ourselves to what we're calling the means of grace, to the means of grace together. And last week, we learned that these means of grace, they're mentioned here in Acts 2.41 to 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is to say that they devoted themselves to the Word of God and this corporate practice of preaching and teaching the Word of God and listening to the Word of God. Uh, They devoted themselves to the shared life together as a community. That's what we see in that word fellowship. Um, And we can't, of course, forget baptism as the way that one enters into that fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which is to say they devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper. And they devoted themselves to praying together. These are the ordinary means through which God is at work in the world today. These are the ordinary means of grace, the ordinary ways through which God saves his people and grows them in maturity But as an old Baptist catechism from the 1700s says, this is especially true of the word. This is especially true of the word. Even more so than baptism and the Lord's Supper and prayer, as those things take place in this fellowship, that's very important, vital for a church to to give themselves to. But this is especially true of the word of God. And so this morning, we're going to look at this first means of grace mentioned here, the apostles' teaching. And it's both first in in, in the order of the list and also first in terms of of its importance, the word, the word of God. This is the primary means through which the Spirit works in and through the church today. The word of God is central to the life of a Spirit-filled church. So let's dig in. This is the big idea for the morning. We're called to be devoted to the message and practice of apostolic teaching. We're called to be devoted to the message and practice of apostolic teaching. We'll unpack that in two parts. Number one, the message of apostolic teaching, and number two, the practice of apostolic teaching. First, the message of apostolic teaching. So we see that this church devoted themselves to the message of apostolic teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, um, but who were the apostles and what did they teach? That's a good question uh, to ask as we look at this verse. Uh, The word apostle literally just means one who is sent. Um, but when we see it throughout the New Testament, uh, it, it's, it's a word used as a, a title of a particular role within the church. Uh, and we could define that role this way. Apostles are those directly installed by Jesus to establish the church and write the New Testament scripture. The apostles are those uh, directly installed by Jesus to establish the church and to write New Testament scripture. 
And so these guys aren't around anymore today. They're not around anymore today. They all died, most of them being martyred. Uh, pastors like me were not apostles. Um, we're, we're given this role by Jesus, but not directly. We're given this role by Jesus through churches and through leadership within those churches, uh, not directly from Jesus. We don't write scriptures. We just preach and teach uh, what, uh, the, what the scriptures are. So we teach and preach what the apostles wrote in the New Testament. Uh, and as far as what they taught goes, we don't really need to, to do much guessing about that. Uh, I mentioned last week that there are 19 sermons in the book of Acts, uh, and we just read one of them this morning. And a big reason that we read all the way from uh, verse 22 of, of Acts 2 is because we get an example of this teaching, this teaching from the apostles. Peter, an apostle in the church, he stood up in the, in the middle of this event that we call Pentecost, and he preaches a sermon. He preaches the gospel. He preaches the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he, and he bases this teaching, he bases this sermon in a few particular scripture texts from the Old Testament. He preaches Joel 2 and Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. He explains the Bible, and then he also applies the Bible. He, he calls those who heard to, to repent and believe the gospel, to trust in Jesus and to be baptized in response to the truth of the gospel. So he didn't preach his political ideals and, and his position on Caesar's policies in Rome. He, he didn't preach eight practical tips to become a, a better this or that, a self-help talk. He didn't preach how to have your best life now with a big smile on his face. Uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't preach his personal testimony even. He didn't even share his, his personal testimony, as good as that can be sometimes. Uh, your personal testimony is not the gospel. Uh, Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the gospel. That's what saves. Your, your personal testimony is not the gospel. That wasn't their message. Their message was Jesus, not politics, not self-help, not your best life now, not, not their personal testimonies. Their message was Jesus. They preached Jesus. That was their message. And we see in, in Peter's sermon here, we'll just read it from Acts 2, starting with verse 22. He says, Jesus of Nazareth. Their message, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He preached and taught the person and work of Jesus, Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. He preached the forgiveness of sins and repentance and baptism. We not only find this message in the examples and the sermons in, in Acts, um, the apostles' teaching is quite literally the New Testament. Um, it, it, you know, they, they, the apostles' teaching is the New Testament. The apostles wrote letters. The Apostle Paul wrote Romans and Galatians. We just spent 25 weeks looking at Galatians. He wrote Galatians, 1st and 2nd Timothy and the rest of them. Uh, the Apostle Peter wrote 1st and 2nd Peter. The Apostle John wrote the Gospel according to John and 1st and 2nd and 3rd John in the book of Revelation. Um, Matthew, the Apostle Matthew wrote uh, Matthew, the, the Gospel. And then uh, the apostles oversaw this writing of, of Luke, the Gospel according to Luke and Mark and, and the writing of Acts. The apostles the, the, the New Testament is literally the teaching of the apostles. And so you don't need to wonder what they taught. If you're holding a Bible in your hands, you have the apostles' teaching in your hands right now. You don't need to wonder what the apostles taught. They, they preached Jesus. It's the exact same message 
that Peter preached here in Acts 2. That's the message we find in the New Testament. The message of the New Testament is centered on the person and work of Jesus. Indeed, that's why the, the entire Bible was written, was to reveal Jesus. The Bible is not about us. It's not about what we must do in order to earn salvation. The Bible is about Jesus, about what he's done to purchase our salvation, to, to secure it forever. The Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament was written to prepare the people of God for the coming of Jesus. The, the New Testament was written to tell us about the coming of Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he writes in 1 Corinthians 1.22, we preach Christ and him crucified. In, in Colossians 1.28, he says, Him, Him we proclaim, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2.2, Paul said that he was resolved, he was determined to preach nothing else other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified all based on the authority of God's word. I can stand before you today and tell you I'm preaching to you the message of the apostles that, that, that today, if you don't trust in Jesus, that you are dead in your trespasses and sins and that you are a child of Satan. But Jesus came down from heaven. He lived the righteous life you should have lived. He died the sinner's death that you deserve to die. And now he reigns in victory and resurrection life forever until the last enemy be defeated. And, and he extends mercy, astounding mercy to guilty rebels like us. He forgives us. He forgives us our sins. He gives grace to rebels like us. He gives hope and help to hopeless and helpless sinners like us you repent and trust in him, you are forgiven. You are covered in Christ. His righteousness and yours is yours, and you can be accepted by God the Father forever. But if you don't trust in Christ, you are facing a Christless eternity. Condemnation. You will stand before God when Jesus returns, and you will stand condemned to everlasting death in a lake of fire, eternity without Christ, suffering in the lake of fire. That's what you face if you're not covered in Christ when you face the judgment. That's the apostles' teaching. But now, how can we be devoted to the apostles' teaching today? You know, all the apostles are dead. They were, they were martyred except for one, and he died in his old age. With a message like that, you don't really need to wonder why they were martyred. So how can we be devoted to the apostles' teaching today? And there's a number of ways. There's a number of ways that we can be devoted to the apostles' teaching today. For one, you know, you can be devoted by simply reading your Bible. By simply reading your Bible. You have a Bible. If you don't, take one of those paperback Bibles at the edge of each bench. Take that home with you. Just wake up every morning and read it. Just read it. It doesn't need to take a long time. You can open it, read one chapter, close it, go about your day. It doesn't need to take a long time. If you have time, read more. If you don't, that's fine. Just read your Bible. It doesn't need to be a profound experience. Just read your Bible. Secondly, you can also memorize the Bible. You can memorize the Bible. You can find a particular verse or a cluster of verses to memorize. Um, you know, it could be the text that we're preaching here on Sunday mornings. For the next six weeks, you could just devote yourself to memorizing Acts 2, 41 and 42. Just memorize. Or, or memorize really seminal texts throughout the Bible. You'd memorize the commandments in Exodus 20 or the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Uh, you can memorize, you know, if, if you're super type A, you could memorize whole paragraphs or chapters or books of the Bible. Memorize the Bible. 
Uh, thirdly, read good books about the Bible. You know, we're not the only people uh, to be reading and, and understanding the Bible. There are people uh, that have read and, and understood the Bible better than we do. So read good books with biblical doctrine that help you understand the Bible. Uh, if you don't know where to start with that, just come talk to me. I have these two books here. Uh, fourthly, read the Bible in community. Um, you know, if you're a husband or a wife or a parent, uh, you should be reading the Bible with your family. Be reading the Bible with your family every day. Um, if you're not married, don't have kids, anything like that, just find another member of the church and read the Bible with them. Um, we, we do this in our city groups. In city group, you should be reading the Bible every week. The Bible should be open. You should be reading it. You should be reading it. And on Sunday mornings at our public gatherings here this morning, we're, we devote ourselves to, as 1 Timothy 4.13 says, to the public reading of Scripture. We read lots of Scripture on Sunday mornings here together. In fact, you know, I would say as good as personal Bible reading and memorization, all that stuff is, the, the, the fact of the matter is the Bible was actually meant to be read in community with a local church. It was meant to be read in a community. Now, I know that we all have our, our personal copies of the Bible. Now, that's a precious gift. It's a precious gift. But that's a relatively new development. And I think often in our sort of Western individualism, we can start to, to see the, the evangelical quiet time as the sort of uh, most important part of our Christian spirituality. And, it, and it's good. We need to read the Bible. We need to pray personally. But it's certainly, uh, for most of history, this, you know, this wasn't even an option to, to read the Bible personally. And it certainly wasn't here in Acts 2. Um, often today, we think that being devoted to the apostles' teaching just means being really disciplined in our quiet times. In fact, most of the resources that I looked at talking about this particular verse, being devoted to the apostles' teaching, a lot of people just applied it with saying, we need to be really devoted to our quiet times. But that's not necessarily what this text is speaking to. It's speaking to the, the, this church's communal life together, speaking to their life together. It's speaking to the life they shared together, the practices that they gave themselves to together when they gathered. And so hear me when I say this, you need to be devoted to personal devotions, private worship in your homes. You need to do that. But this apostolic teaching wasn't just a, a message that we devote ourselves to as individuals. It's, it's also a practice that we're called to devote ourselves to publicly as a community. I hope you hear me rightly as I'm saying that. I'm, I would never discourage anyone from personally reading the Bible every morning. I, I encourage that. But this, this practice that they gave themselves to was them devoting themselves publicly as a community to the reading and preaching of God's word, listening to God's word. This church was devoted to this practice of teaching. They were devoted to listening to the word as it was taught to them by the apostles. They were devoted to it as a practice, not just as a message, although that's the most important part, but as a practice. In fact, their devotion to the practice was because of their devotion to the message of the gospel, the message of the apostles. Because it was through this practice of apostolic teaching, this practice that they heard the message of apostolic teaching. And what did this uh, devotion to the apostles' teaching look like in the life of the church throughout Acts? Well, we know that this devotion took a considerable amount of time and attention and effort, enough for the apostles to say in Acts 6.5, Acts 6.5, that they needed to give up other responsibilities and activities in the church, really good things, 
like serving uh, food to hungry widows in order to focus their personal attention on preaching and teaching and praying. And Paul describes a little bit of what his life and ministry looked like in Acts 20, 20. Uh, He spent a long time pastoring and preaching and teaching in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, after he planted a church there. And as he's saying goodbye to these pastors there at this church, he says to them in Acts 20, 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you, so that's preaching anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. So we see that he declared and taught the word in their public assembly, what we often call a church service or public gathering. And he also did this from house to house, similar to kind of how we do today. may not look the exact same, but kind of similar to how we do today. So we can gather something of what it looked like for this church to be devoted to this practice of apostolic teaching. They gave their their time, their attention to the teaching of of the apostles as they taught the Bible in their public assembly and as they taught the Bible uh, in assembly halls, like Solomon's porticos we see just a few chapters later in Acts, and, and also as the apostles taught from house to house. But then we need to ask, why did the apostles do this? Just like a, a new thing in the, in the church that they uh, just gave themselves to, that they made up? Why did they devote themselves to preaching and teaching the word of God to the people of God? Why did they sacrifice so much time and effort and give up good and admirable activities in the church to preach and teach the word? And why did this people, this church, devote themselves to listening to this teaching? We, we could answer that in a number of ways, but, but one simple way would be this, because God ordained it. Because God ordained this practice of the preaching and teaching of his word. But by the way, the, the preaching and teaching, we're kind of using those words synonymously. There's, in a sermon, there's, there's a good amount of preaching and teaching that goes on. We're just unpacking what the Bible says. Those words are kind of used synonymously throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament. But this is, this is, uh, this is the way, the foremost and primary means through which God has worked in and through his people in biblical history and still to this day. In the Old Testament, uh, God spoke through the preaching of prophets. In the New Testament, we see the coming of Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, and he's a preacher. He's a preacher. Luke 4.43, Jesus says of himself, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. He was sent to preach the good news of the kingdom of God of God. Jesus was a preacher. And then after Jesus died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven for our salvation, he sent the apostles to preach. Acts 2, 42, we read this earlier. Uh, Peter says um, to a group of Gentiles, he said, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he was the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. As we talked about last week, this, this book of Acts is filled with sermons. We could just as easily call the book of Acts the, uh, the Acts of the Apostles. We could call it the Sermons of the Apostles. Just tons of sermons in this book. Now, Paul, he thinks so highly of this practice of preaching and teaching that as he's writing to this church in Rome, in Romans 1.15, he's even writing this spirit-inspired letter to them. And he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I'm, I'm eager to do that. He's eager to go to them and to preach, not just write the letter, but, but to go to them and preach and be present with them. When, when Paul even describes his call and purpose in life, and in 1 Timothy 2.7, he says, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. 
In 1 Corinthians 1.17, he goes as far to say, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And we, we know from Paul that, that he, he makes a big deal about baptism. He, he highly valued baptism. But the most important thing, the most important means of grace is preaching the gospel, the word of God being taught to the people of God. That was foremost in Paul's mind. And this practice is to continue to this day in the church. We don't have any more apostles today, but we're still called by God to carry on and be devoted to this practice we see in Acts 2.42. Uh, turn to 2 Timothy 3.16 in your Bibles. Charles Spurgeon once said that the greatest sound a preacher can hear is the, pa- the pages turning in people's Bibles in the pews. I love hearing that. We'll just read 2 Timothy 3, 16. We'll read on through 4, 4. This is what Paul writes. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, He takes it a step further. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. So listen, Timothy's not an apostle. He's a pastor. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's, That's what Paul wrote to Pastor Timothy. So not only did prophets preach, not only did Jesus preach, not only did the apostles preach, but pastors are called to carry on this practice as well. Jesus passed this God-given role of preaching to the apostles who then passed it on to pastors. Pastors, like me, were not apostles. We, we don't write New Testament scriptures. We don't, the, the canon is closed. We don't continue to write New Testament scriptures, but we are called to devote ourselves to preach the word like the apostles did. We're called to preach the apostles' teaching, the apostles' doctrine. We're called to carry on this practice to do so in season, out of season, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And churches, the people of God, as we see in 2 Timothy here, are called to be devoted to enduring sound teaching. You should endure this right now. It may be painful, but endure this right now and listen to the truth. That's what you're called to as the people of God, to listen to the word as it's read and explained and applied. That's why every week we gather to do this. We gather to read and explain and apply and listen to the Bible. Now hear me, I'm telling you this because I believe it's essential for our discipleship as Christians that we give ourselves to this practice. this, This time together on Sunday mornings where we gather to listen to the reading and explaining and applying of the Bible is the primary practice. I, I, I I feel confident that I can say it's the primary practice we're called to give ourselves to in our devotion to the Word of God as a community. 
You know, it's not the only practice that we're called to. Like if the only time you hear the word every week is the 30, 40 minutes during a sermon, that's not enough. That's not enough. It's not the only practice we're called to. You should be reading it with your family. You should be reading it privately. You should be reading it with your city group and so on. That's why every week we gather in smaller groups called city groups to read the Bible and explain the Bible to one another and help one another understand and encourage one another. That's why we encourage family worship and private worship and, and Bible reading. But this practice of just preaching and teaching the Bible dominates our vision as a body, as a church together, because the Word of God calls us to be devoted to it. And this is God's chosen means through which He builds His church. Which is why it's so unfortunate that the practice of preaching and teaching the Bible today is kind of seen as passe and outdated. It's archaic. Now, even even by many within the church, many self-described Christians would look at what we're doing here this morning and think that we're a bunch of dinosaurs. Some think that doing dramas and skits is more appropriate. Some think that, that, you know, showing movies and... And having dialogue is a better use of our time. Some think that, that having rock and bands and sweet light shows is a better use of our time as a church. So, some would even go as far to say that they think we should just scrap this practice of preaching and teaching the word of God altogether and give ourselves to, to good deeds. And we should give ourselves to good deeds. You know, you hear people, though, often say deeds, not creeds, are needed in the church. And listen, there's a place for dialogue. We should give ourselves to dialogue with others. We need, we must, we are uh, called on by God to serve the needy and to do good to our neighbors, to do good deeds. The word of God calls us to do that, no doubt. I have my doubts about dramas and skits and stuff, though. I don't think those could ever be used by God. But maybe, maybe. But listen, this, this practice of preaching and teaching The word of God is the backbone of the church. We've got nothing if we don't have this. We've got nothing. The the moment that that church becomes less and less about the demands that scripture makes on our lives and more about our our, our, uh, personal preferences is the moment that we lose the power to transform lives and cast down idols. A church without this practice, a church without this this God-given, God-ordained practice, a church without preaching and teaching the Bible is a church without power. It's a church without grace. Indeed, we we can conclude from Acts 2 here that in this event of Pentecost, that a church without preaching and teaching the Bible is a church without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers and works through the proclamation of God's word. God ordained this practice. Christ is revealed in this practice. The Spirit empowers and works through this practice of preaching and teaching the Word of God. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. The church is built and matures and multiplies through this practice of faithfully preaching and teaching the Word of God. Therefore, it demands our devotion as a community. This is essential for us. What we're doing right now, so ordinary. This is essential for us. Now, as we close, let's just look at a few practical ways that we can be devoted to this practice. You know, every single week we gather to devote ourselves to this 
practice of preaching and teaching the Bible. It's the backbone of our church. God gives life through his word. The spirit works through the word to save his church and to grow his church in Christ-likeness. So this is no small matter. So I, I beg you to consider, have you ever considered how you come, how you can be personally devoted to this practice? Have you ever considered that? how you can be devoted to this communal practice that we give ourselves to as a church? Have you ever considered how you prepare for this practice, your your posture during this practice, or how you continue on throughout the week after this practice takes place? And so here are a few ways that we can and should be devoted to this as a church. Number one, come prepared to hear the word taught. Come prepared. That's the key word, prepared. I imagine that for the most part, we don't give much thought to preparing to hear the word. You know, we just show up cold and, and unprepared on Sunday mornings typically. And while showing up is half the battle, I, w- I would say that our being devoted to this requires a bit more of us. I've enjoyed getting to hear how some people uh, prepare for this in our church. Uh, it seems like every week, Dan Turner comes to me every Sunday morning, and he tells me how he's been reading the sermon text, reflecting on it, uh, and just enjoying it and letting it stir him and warm his heart and prepare him to come to church on Sunday mornings, receive that word proclaimed into his ears. Uh, And he's always sharing with me about what he saw and his reflections on it. Very, very helpful, very encouraging to me. Or a year or so ago, I remember Mike Myers contacted me And he said, hey, can I get access to the Google Doc that has the sermon series plans on it so that my family and I can read the upcoming Sunday sermon text throughout the week to prepare ourselves as a family to come and hear the word. It's it's good to prepare in those sorts of ways. These are good ways to be devoted as a community to the message and practice of apostolic teaching together. But not only that, there are practical ways that we can prepare as well. If you stay up binging on Netflix all night, you're not coming on Sunday morning prepared to receive the word. It's just not, if you stay up super late, you wake up super late, you, you're just not prepared. Go to bed early, wake up early, plan what you're going to eat and where. Be intentional, be devoted. Two, come to hear Christ's voice. Now, I think often we, we tend to think of the sermon as just kind of educational time, of just kind of uh, uh, us preaching, teaching the Bible, nothing more than just being kind of information transfer about what the Bible says. And that, of course, does and must happen. There has to be information transfer in the sermon. That has to happen because the authority of what's said in the sermon only comes from the Bible, so the Bible needs to be understood so the information transfer has to happen, but we're, we're not brains on a stick. You understand? Like Christians are not brains on a stick. So when we come to the Bible, we don't just come to the Bible to get information about Christ. We come to hear Christ's voice and to encounter his presence. We come to treasure him and grow in adoring him and obeying him. We come to encounter the presence of Jesus when this Bible is open. We don't just come to get information. We're not just here to hear new information. We're here to be brought into the presence of Christ. You know, we see this in Acts 2. Peter preaches this word, and and these people, they weren't just hearing new information. They were brought into the presence of Christ, and the Holy Spirit pierced their hearts with the truth of the gospel. 
So come expecting the Spirit to be supernaturally at work in and through this time together. He is here, present among us, working. Expect Him to work supernaturally in your heart through the reading and explaining and applying of the Bible to you. Come to hear Christ's voice and encounter His presence. Three, come with your Bible open. It may seem obvious, but we definitely don't come to the Bible on Sunday mornings uh, as brains on a stick. We don't turn our brains off either. No, we follow along, listen attentively, open to the different parts of the Bible as we read throughout the Bible. Um, make sure that these things are rightly understood and applied. When Paul preached uh, in, in Acts 17.11, Luke praises this church, this, these Jews in Berea. And he says of them, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So keep your Bible open. Keep it open to see if these things are so. I, you know, I'm not inerrant. I'm not infallible. I could be wrong about something up here. Keep your Bible open. Turn to different scripture passages throughout. Discuss and examine the scriptures with others in the church afterward. This is one of the reasons that we have city groups so that we can, as a church together, receive the word with eagerness and search the scriptures, examine the scriptures to see if these things are so. But then our devotion involves not only coming on Sunday mornings, not only coming prepared to hear Christ's voice and, and coming with our Bibles open, it also involves going. Fourth way, we are to be devoted to the message and practice of apostolic teaching. Four, go to share what you've heard. We not only come to hear, we go to share what we've heard. We go to tell others about the message that we hear. We go to tell others without Christ about Christ. A, a little while back, um, Colin texted me one evening um, and asked if we could get together and talk, and, uh, and it kind of worried me. Uh, at first, but um, we were about to eat dinner, and so uh, I just told him to come on over. We'll have dinner together, and uh, we ate, and, and then afterward, uh, we went out on my patio to enjoy, uh, as Spurgeon said, that blessed leaf, um, and, and afterward, we, we went out to smoke some tobacco pipes on the patio, and he just started sharing stories with me about how he had been sharing the gospel uh, with others uh, outside of the church walls, how he'd just been sharing the gospel with people um, in various places, the skate park and other places. And as he's explaining to me about what, he's, what he said to these people, he, it, it sounded a lot like what we, we were in uh, the book of Galatians at the time, preaching 25 weeks of the book of Galatians. What he was saying, he told them, sounded a lot like what we'd been looking at for the several, you know, the three, four, five months uh, that we were of, of looking at Galatians. It sounded a lot like what we were looking at in Galatians. He was sharing what he had learned, what he had heard from Galatians in the previous three or four months. That's, that's devotion to this message and this practice, not just sitting on what you've heard. This is good news. The world needs to hear this apostolic message. So come and hear, even bring others to come and hear. Come bring those who don't know Christ to come and hear, but don't just do that. Go and tell, go and, and share what you've heard. Bring the message to others who don't know Christ. Go and tell, and not only go and tell, lastly, go and obey. Go to obey what you've heard. In the great commission that Jesus gave the church in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, he tells the apostles, 
give themselves this practice of teaching. He says, you know, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that I've commanded you, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So teaching, the teaching that takes place here, again, this is not just to fill up your head with knowledge and facts and doctrines. That's not what we're doing here. You need to learn. You need to know doctrine. You need to grow in the knowledge of God. You need information. But not just so that you can walk around as a giant brain on a stick. That's, that's not the, the end goal here. As we see in Acts 2.38, this teaching is supposed to lead to repentance and growth and, and, and sanctification and Christ-likeness. This teaching is meant to lead you to obedience. Devotion to merely acquiring new information about Jesus is not devotion to Jesus. That's not devotion to Jesus. True devotion to this message, true devotion to Jesus, true devotion to apostolic teaching leads to adoring and obeying Jesus more and more. So go and share what you've heard. Come prepared to hear the word. Come prepared to hear Christ's voice. Come with your Bible open and go to share what you've heard. Go to obey what you've heard. That's what devotion to the apostolic message and apostolic practice of teaching and preaching the Bible looks like. And we be a church devoted to the message and practice of apostolic teaching. May we do so for the glory of God and for the good of our city. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are present with us as your word is taught. We thank you that Christ is revealed to us as your word is taught. We thank you that your spirit hovers over this word and works through this word and transforms hearts to this, through this word. And we ask that that would take place here this morning. Would you effectually call us to yourself? Would you sanctify us in your truth, Lord? Your word is truth. Would you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you and help us, Lord, to be devoted to this message, to be devoted to this practice and to be transformed by it so that we can go to share what we've heard and to obey what we've heard. Work in our hearts and work through our hands. In Jesus' name. We also ask, Lord, that you would bless this time of communion together that we're about to receive. Would you open our eyes to behold Jesus as we receive this meal together? Would you open our mouths to receive Jesus? Would you soften our hearts to receive Jesus? And would you grant that spiritually we would feast on him through faith and enjoy him and be strengthened by him and nourished by communion with him? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.